0: Good morning, everybody. Oh, are you sick? That's alright. I'm sick too. He's getting over mine though, I think. I'll make a mad dash to the bathroom, though. you ignore me. I think those days are over, though. All right. the good old days. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. Um. um as you know, we, we teach out the uh, the lectionary, and, and I think I've mentioned this before, that every now and then they'll give us passages that are like, what do you do with these kind of, kind of things, right? So um, a lot of this is going to be kind of like educational, with some little um, tidbits thrown in that apply to, to us, I guess, That's the best way put it. Um, so I mean, um, I would I wouldn't just take my word for what you know what I'm gonna teach, but I mean to stuff online, so if I'm wrong, they're wrong okay. too. So we're still in Mark. Apparently, we gonna be in Mark for a while. All right, so this is Mark 6, and this one through 29. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath. He began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and power to to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, the prophet is honored everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching. Oh, I never understand. Well, Chapter six. I Jesus rejected. Oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Just read it to me, man. <laughs> then Jesus went to <laughs> That's actually a good idea. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. <laughs> he called his <laughs> glad, <but> he <laughs> he called his twelve disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. He told them not to take he told them to take nothing for their journey except a walking stick, no food, no traveler's bag, no money. He allowed them to wear sandals and not take a change of clothes. Wherever you go, he says, stay in the same house let until you leave know. town. But if any place refuses to welcome you or listen to you, shake its dust from your feet as you leave to show that you have abandoned these people to their faith. So the disciples went out, telling everyone they met to repent of their sins and turn to God. And they cast out many demons and healed many sick and people, uh, many sick people, anointing them with olive oil. Herod Antipas, the king soon heard about jesus because everyone was talking about him um he's he's not actually a king he's more of a governor but this is kind of the language to use um, caesar was the king the but, but caesar appointed him in this section so he's a, basically a governor and some were saying this must, but they same same about jesus this must be john the baptist raised from the dead that is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah, still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John the man, I John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod has sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favorite to Herodias. She had been his brother he had been she had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. So He's married to his sister-in-law now. John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Because that's what it says, I think, in Leviticus, that you don't, you know, you don't sleep with your brother's wife. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance came, finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high government officials, army, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and the guest. Ask me anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask, up to half my kingdom. She went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said, but because of the vows he made in front of his guest, he could not refuse her. So he immediately sent out an executioner to to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Then John's disciples heard what had happened. They came to get his body and buried it. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Um, uh, I pray, Lord, that what I have to say is, is True and honest, and um, I, I just thank you, Lord, for an opportunity to um, to be. Um, I guess you know uh, some. Uh, I'm honored, Lord, that you allow me, that this church allows me to um, get up here and teach. Um, I thank you, Lord, for um, uh, helping me feel better today. I do pray, Lord, for all those who, who are sick and um, um, just, just, that you just be with them and, and help them and help heal them. And I thank you, Lord, for um, your love, your mercy, and your grace, and I ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Me a couple days ago. <laughs> Poor kid. All right. Jesus left the part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath he began teaching in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed, he's just a carpenter the son of Mary, the brother James, Joseph, Simon, and his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Um, and Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except his own hometown and among his relatives and his family. And because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. So why did the people... Of Jesus' hometown refused to believe in him. So I think a good place to start with this is understanding the culture of the time. Um, so when, and the, the source I was reading didn't say boys, it said kids. So apparently um, um, when kids when kids went to school, in Israel at this time, it wasn't like school we go to now they went to school to learn the Torah the Old Testament and and how it worked was when they when they turned around when they got about six years old they would they would go to, to um, rabbis whichever their local rabbi was in their their town and and the rabbi would start teaching them how to memorize the first five books of the Bible and and what they would do is, as as the as the he said kids. And I, I really think it's probably mostly boys, but we'll we'll go with it being kids. I mean, you never heard by any female rabbis back then, so they do have some now. Um, but anyway, so as as they're learning, you know, if if they're if they're really good at learning it, they the, the rabbi will keep them on. But if the kid just can't get it you know he tells the kid you know um, go home and learn your family's business that's what kids did you know you just followed your dad's footsteps and you did all that so so to about the age of 10 those who who made the cut had the first five books of the bible memorized they knew every word of it right and so the next step was to learn the rest of it now so you gotta learn Psalms you know the prophets and all that stuff and so they would do that up until the age of 10. <clears throat> and, of course, they would start weeding them out that way, too. Who couldn't do it, you know? If you could memorize every single word of all these books, you, you basically failed and the rabbi told you to go and learn your family's business. Then from 10 to 14, maybe that was the prophets. They, they do that. And, and they, but he just keeps weeding them out until the ones who are left are the ones who have it all memorized. So by the time they're 14 years old, then, then what the rabbi does is he starts basically grilling them about um, what it means. And do you understand what you've memorized? So it's, the goal wasn't just to memorize it, it. The goal was to understand what it meant. And so the, the rabbi would would just constantly ask the kid questions about this and this and all this other stuff. And if the and if the rabbi liked the answers that he got, then he would tell the kid, okay, you can be my disciple, and he would take him on, and he would teach him how to be a rabbi. But if the rabbi didn't like the answers that he got, or he felt that the kid just didn't really measure up like he should, he would say something like, I know you love God in the Torah, but, you know, you need to go learn your father's business. So... That was that was what school was back then. And the guy makes a comment in the book I was reading that um have you ever noticed when Jesus quotes something, nobody like is like they know what he's talking about because they all have some kind of learning of the Old Testament at the time. So nobody in Israel is like completely, you know, lost on most of this. So so since Jesus was working as a carpenter, because they clearly state he's a carpenter, right? He's just a carpenter. How can he possibly be what he is? He must not have made the cut. Or I think more likely the rabbis didn't like his interpretations of the scripture. So it appears the rabbis sent him home to earn the family trade. Um, there's an account in Matthew 21 where Jesus is teaching in the synagogue in the um, uh, the the priest and the elders come out and they ask him by what authority was given to you to, to teach and what they're basically asking him is which rabbi were you under because they know he wasn't under a rabbi because he's just a carpenter okay Does that make sense yeah. Of course Jesus't answer him, which is always what Jesus did. No. Okay, because they knew he didn't have a complete formal training under a rabbi, so why should he be allowed to teach? His followers called him rabbi, but the re- religious elite did not. No one, for the most part, who teaches here has a formal education in seminary or a master's degree in religious studies. You don't have one, do you? Okay. Yeah. That's why, um, oh, but we, but we who teach here take this calling very seriously. You know, we study and we research and we pray, right? And I, for one, am humbled and honored that you, that you guys entrust us with that burden. Um, and I also appreciate the fact that you realize, that we realize, that it doesn't take a college degree to receive and relate what we feel God has laid upon our hearts. I've been, I've been part of, a, of starting a church, and it's unbelievable how they just freak out if the more degrees a guy has, or a woman, the better they must be, right? And uh, the one church I was with, this one guy, he'd even, he'd, he was even an author, and everybody was like, oh, they're all excited, man, this guy must be good, man, he wrote books, and they were ready to hire him, hire him on the spot, I hadn't even met the guy, he just put a resume in so I got online and looked up a books he wrote, and it was all about why the Confederacy was good and you know, all that kind of stuff. And they were like, "Oh," and I was like, "You yeah. know." So, <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, some people are blinded by by the by the paper. Anyway, um, like I said, I also appreciate that we realize that it doesn't take a college degree to receive and relate to what we feel God has laid upon our hearts. But for me, it's also rather comforting to know that the one we teach about didn't have a piece of paper legitimizing his teaching credentials either, apparently. All right. We're going to skip down to 1728. I can get my thing to... There we go. Herod Antipas, the king, soon heard about Jesus because everyone was talking about him. Some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. That is why he can do such miracles. Others say he's the prophet Elijah, until others say he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. When Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded, has come back from the dead. For Herod has sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias, his wife. She had been his, his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So Herod is for a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. For Herod respected John, and knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. He protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John, but even so, uh, he liked to listen to him. Herodias' chance finally came in Herod's, on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high, for his high government officials, army, army officers, and leading citizens of Galilee. Then his daughter, also named Herodias, came in and performed a dance that greatly pleased Herod and his guests. Ask me anything you like, the king said to the girl, and I will give it to you. He even vowed, I would give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. She went and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So the girl hurried back to the king and told him I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. And the king deeply regretted what he had said but because he he because of the vows he made in front of his guests he could not refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to cut the uh, uh, executioner to, to the prison to cut off John's head and to bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in prison brought his head on a tray and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Right. So Herodias was upset with John the Baptist for calling calling out Herod because he had married his brother's wife. Alright. This is this apparently offended Herodias more than Herod, but it doesn't shine a very favorable light upon her either, right? Um, she wanted John the Baptist dead, but her husband tried to placate her by, by throwing John in prison because he had a lot of respect for him. But her grudgment much deeper than than a simple imprisonment, she wanted his life. I kind of get the impression that she had been scheming or at least biting her time for the opportunity to get rid of John the Baptist. Because then one day, Herod throws himself a birthday party. He invites all the muckety-mucks and the high rollers in the neighborhood. And they're partying, they're eating, they're drinking, they're participating in all sorts of debauchers, for revelry, revelry. and then his daughter walks into the room. Uh, Most think that she is actually his stepdaughter, which would kind of make her his niece also, right? Uh, Depending on which translation of the Bible you're reading, she is referenced as either the daughter of Herodias or, as this one, she has the same name as her mom. According to the first century Jewish historian Josephus, her name is Salome. So we will call her Salome just to avoid confusion. All right, so there's, there's Herod and all his lecherous friends and all their glorious debauchery when Salome struts into the room and she's gotten on her high heels and as little clothing as possible and she's doing her best impression of the Super Bowl halftime performance. And she's all bumping and grinding and teasing and, and Herod is so crazed that he's out of his mind. He says, I'll give you anything you want. Give me up to half of my kingdom. In my experience, this is the picture, in my experience, this is the picture preachers have painted of this scene, and they actually make movies about this, right? You guys seen any movies about this scene? The Dance of the Seven Bales, all that kind of stuff? But as I was doing some research, I ran across something very interesting. And I will sadly admit, as a guy, when I read about a woman walking into the room and doing a dance and a guy willing to give up everything, I, I, I tend to think it's like a primal reaction to a deductive act. Deductive act. The Greek word for girl is kerasio, if I pronounced that right, and it means little girl. When Quinn taught, I guess it was last week, he teached last week about uh, Jairus' daughter, two weeks ago, about what did I? Jairus' daughter. Yeah. Jesus yeah. raised yeah. Jairus' yeah. daughter. Yeah. Um, the, the, the word for girl, uh, Jairus' Jer- daughter, is the exact same word. And, and in that story, uh, it states that the girl was 12 years old. So some believe that Salome was a, like a tween. She was around 10 to 12 years old. And also, the, the Greek word for dance would say that she did a dance. <clears throat> I don't know if I can now this one. That Greek word is orheume, may And it can mean to play. So perhaps Salome was a 10, 11 year old little girl who just happened to wander into the room and just started play dancing like a lot of little girls do. Because there was probably music being played at the party. Um, I don't know if you've ever noticed, like, when Tim's doing worship, you know, Anna and and Cora's back there spinning around and and all that. That's the vision that I noticed out of that. And the men just thought it was the cutest, sweetest thing they'd ever seen. But it was so cute that Herod offered her anything she wanted up to half half his kingdom. And, And, by the way, uh, up to half the kingdom doesn't mean he actually is going to give her half his kingdom. It just means that he'll give her something very valuable if she, if she wants it. Another clue that um, Salome was probably just a little girl was that she went to ask her mother what she should ask for. It. Any normal 16, 17, 18, 19-year-old would probably not even ask her mom's opinion about this. They would just ask for money, a a shiny new chariot, or the latest iPhone. But a 10-year-old, a child would ask for mom. So it's quite possible Herod saw nothing sexual at all about Solomon's dance. But then again, he is sleeping with his brother's wife, so. But if it was an innocent child's dance, and just a father delighted to see his child being a child, The real heinous person in this account is Herodias. Yes, Herod did behead John, basically for no reason, but Herodias uses her own child as an unwitting accomplice to to the murder of another human. Have you guys basically, if you know this story, has it always been like an older woman tempting Herod? I don't know about older, but I always assumed that it was not innocent. of age, of age. yeah yeah. Yeah the idea that I never I mean I never read that and thought about it being a, just a little girl being a little girl. So Herodias had been powerless to be able to exact revenge on John the Baptist, but now she finally sees an opportunity to seize that power, even at the expense of using her own child as a pawn in her thirst for retribution. Power can make people do crazy things. Power has been quite a buzzword lately. Abuse of power, gender empowerment, Herod abused his power by flippantly making promises that got the man beheaded. <clears throat> Herodias took advantage of her daughter's power to satisfy her lust for vengeance. We can see in our own lives how empowerment can be used for sole personal gains. To contrast their view of empowerment with how Jesus says his followers should use empowerment. Come on. Back up in verse 7. And Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. And he called his 12 disciples together and began sending them out two by two, giving them authority to cast out evil spirits. Jesus gave the disciples authority, empowerment to cast out demons and to heal the sick. It's empowerment, but it's infused with mercy and not dominance. Now, it may be debatable if the gift of healing and casting out demons are still available to us today. Perhaps they are, but just in a, just not in the same way. As followers of Christ. We need to recognize and realize that we have been empowered with the Holy Spirit, and the fruit resulting from that empowerment are what we use for the casting out of the demons and for the healing of souls. Did that make sense? I struggled with writing this to make it make sense. Say it again. Okay. As followers of Christ, we need to recognize and realize that we have been empowered with the Holy Spirit. And the fruit resulting from that empowerment are what we use for the casting out of demons and for the healing of souls. In the 20 plus years I've been attending church, I've heard very few sermons on the fruit of the Spirit. It seems that children get taught it a lot, but not the adults. And what I've experienced in my life Far too many professing Christians don't even pretend to display any fruit of the Spirit. Just take a quick glance at Facebook and our politics. Christians are not called to fight fire with fire. We cannot drive out the demons of hate and brutality with hate and brutality. But love and gentleness will eventually drive it out. So these are the fruit of the Spirit. I know it's not sexy and macho and full of bravado to be gentle and to be kind. But our Lord Jesus Christ lived and lived and was crucified to overcome the demons of hate and evil by being a servant and by loving his enemies and forgiving even those who killed him. I went ahead and I put what I thought would, was like the opposite of the fruit of the spirit of each one of them. Now, if you read the passage in Galatians where this is that Paul has a list of things about what is, you know, You can re- you can you can see that 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 um, second column there, and I think all of us know people who profess to love Jesus and to follow Jesus that they find a way for each one of those to justify having those feelings. We know the hate is up there. I mean, we know that. I mean, I struggle. I mean, there's people that I mean. Uh, I I, I don't know if I can really tell you that I love them. I maybe don't hate them like I used to, but. But we're called, though, to like, like to hate people. And. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, seriously, I mean, most of you guys know how I feel about politicians, but I really thought, I really thought that most of the conflict in the government was kind of a show. But they all really did kind of get along and just didn't, you know. But lately it's like, I really do think they hate each other. I mean really. I think they really, really, really hate each other. And and some of those who, who do that are the ones who are the ones who proclaim to be some of the staunchest Christians around. So as we as we come to take um partake in communion, I mean we I know we all strive for the list on the left. But The list on the right is so much easier to live by, <laughs> and those are the and those are the ones that we need to really get out of our heart. So as we come, as we come, partaking the bread and the juice, um, um, search your heart and ask God to show you if there is anything on that, that left side that, that you can't let go of. And I'm not talking about, it doesn't have to be actions like cruelty. Maybe you're not actually cruel to anybody, but in your thoughts, you are. Like you hear about a terrorist getting killed, and it's like, he deserved it. You know, that's kind of a cruel, the cruel thought that terrorists was treated by God also made in his image. Adultery is the same way. You don't actually have to do anything physically. It can all be mental and in your heart. thank you for showing the example of how we are to live. <clears throat> it would have been so easy for you to hate those who hurt you, those who abused you, those who killed you. But you chose to love them. And if we are if going to be people who claim to follow you and to believe in you, to trust in you even if it seems not to make any sense whatsoever we have to we have to live like you did help us Lord to get all those all those feelings like hate and cruelty and adultery help us to get those out of our heart Help us to see where we need to get those kind of things out of our heart. And help us, Lord, to to love, to have joy and peace. Help us to strive for those things. Help us to embrace those things and to realize that that is the, the true way to live. And Lord, you showed us how to live, and you showed us through the crucifixion that sometimes love is bloody and brutal, and that love can be messy. Help us to have the strength to love others that are hard to love. As I know, Lord, I must be hard to love sometimes. So as we come, please let this bread and juice nourish us spiritually and to be a reminder of how we are to live. We thank you, Jesus, for your love, your mercy, and your grace, and we ask for this in your name. Amen. <coughs>